Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright, and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's episode is called Finding Ben. It's by Stuff senior writer Mike White, who joins me now. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Finding Ben. Tell us about Ben. Who's Ben? He's Ben Lott, who's now 32. He's from Wanaka. In 2018, he was competing in an adventure race in Fiordland, had a fall and suffered a severe brain injury. And over the next few months, his life basically fell apart. He lost the ability to speak. He couldn't uh, cope with light or sound. He couldn't balance properly. He lost his job. He lost his partner. A lot of friends walked away from him. But one of the people who stuck with him was actually a guy who found him during the race after he'd had this accident. And that guy's name is Scott Worthington. And so this story is really about the two of them and a remarkable journey that they've gone on together over the last few years. Yeah, so the story is sort of in two parts. I think readers on stuff might find it in that form. There's the first half, which is the accident and the injury you just described, and then the journey that Ben and Scott go on together, which involves another uh, extreme ultra race, if you like. So just uh, tease that a little bit for us. So basically what happened, when Ben was at his lowest, he was basically shut in his room at his parents' home, unable to come out. Scott Worthington um, realised that Ben was happiest in the mountains, so he decided he'd take Ben out just for gentle trips into the hills at first, and gradually over the, the next few years, those trips became bigger and bolder and into far more remote places, what they call missions. Ben had been told by his uh, medical staff not to have any goals. That was the best way for his brain injury to recover. Scott thought that was mad, that you should never you know, tell someone not to have any goals. So he asked Ben, what's your big goal? And Ben said, you know, I'd always wanted to do this amazing kayak race in Canada and Alaska called the Yukon Thousand. It goes a thousand miles down the Yukon River. It's the world's longest and hardest kayak race. And without thinking, Scott said, I'll do it with you. And so over the last few years, this Yukon Thousand race has become a holy grail for them, both in terms of getting Ben better and, and being able to gauge his recovery, but also just as a as an athletic kind of goal that the two of them had. And in July this year, the two of them eventually, finally lined up in Whitehorse, Canada uh, for the Yukon Thousand. Were you there as well? Yeah, I did. Look, I, I, I met Ben and Scott um, in 2019, and so I've followed the progress of the story for four years now. And it was such a compelling story and such a remarkable recovery that Ben made with the help of Scott and many others that I, I felt it had to be told. So we decided we'd make a documentary about this. And as part of that, I went to uh, Canada to see the, the start of the race. The race goes through extremely remote areas and you can't follow it, um, and especially because the main road alongside the river got closed due to forest fires so I had to drive a thousand kilometres kind of across to Alaska to see them at the finish line. So yeah, I I was with them during um, their time in Canada and Alaska in an effort to be able to tell the story, you know, really well 
and to provide um, documentary footage for the documentary, which is called Finding Ben. Just quickly tell us a bit more about that. When we started looking at this story, we thought it's such an incredible story. It deserves to be told in a documentary form as well. And so with um, stuff photojournalist uh, Ian McGregor and myself, we've spent several years putting together a documentary and followed Scott and Ben on this journey through to the Yukon and beyond. And that's now available on stuff. All right. This sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Let's get into it. Here is Mike with a bit of swearing, reading his story, Finding Ben. The accident was so simple, just a slip, and then god-awfulness. Coming down wooden steps at the end of a gruelling hall during the God's Own Adventure Race in March 2018, Ben Lott either fell asleep or just missed his footing. Whichever it was, he ended up on his side screaming. After a while, he seemed okay, so carried on. But two days later, another team found 27-year-old Ben sitting beside his bike in the middle of a forestry road, concussed and confused. That team's leader, Scott Worthington, decided the two teams should stick together for Ben's safety. And over the next two days, that's what they did till they crossed the finishing line in Tianao. Scott, then 62, who'd retired to central Otago from Auckland after selling his business, had previously bumped into Ben during adventure races, but didn't expect they'd have anything more to do with each other after God's own. Weeks later, however, he got a crank call from someone gabbling incomprehensibly down the line. But just before he hung up, Scott realised it wasn't a hoax. It was Ben Lott. And he was trying to tell him something important. The effects of his fall had been stealthy, shadowing Ben, then suddenly smothering him. At first, his words became slurred. Then he lost them completely. He lost his job at a rural supplies company. He lost his partner, his savings, his self-worth. In their place came migraines, an inability to balance and walk, and constant nausea. Sometimes he couldn't remember his name. He added notes to his phone's alarms so when he woke each morning, he could remind himself who he was, how old he was, and where he lived. Shifting home to his parents' farm near Fairley in the Mackenzie country, Ben shut himself in his bedroom, unable to cope with the light, sleep his sole escape. When he did emerge, he couldn't bear noise, even things like the sound of cutlery on plates. All the chairs in the house had carpet put underneath them so they wouldn't scrape on the floor. It was hell, as a parent, to watch it happening, recalls Ben's father, Bill. His speech, as friend Laurie Watson puts it, was muffled, mumbled, slow, unrecognisable. When small children speak, and only the parents can understand them, Watson says, it was that, times a thousand more. We played a lot of charades. Previously a top equestrian, Ben found he couldn't ride anymore and was forced to sell his horses. Doctors struggled for a diagnosis, beyond the fact he'd suffered traumatic injuries to his brain and neck, leaving Ben enduring months of painful rehabilitation and repeated tests with little progress. At one point, those treating him said he should abandon any goals in his life. At another, he was told he could perhaps hope to be a part-time forklift driver, 
the suggestion reduced Ben to tears. Feeling his recovery had stalled, and sensing officials were content to consign him to a life on drugs and benefits, Ben decided to quit ACC and go it alone. He was just determined to get better, his mother Maureen says. He couldn't live like he was. So Ben gathered a group of friends and sports professionals around him and pushed to get his life back. Central among these people were Scott and Sue Worthington, who'd kept in contact with Ben ever since that first garbled phone call. Ben's a very authentic, driven person, says Scott. Extremely loyal, very determined, but most importantly, doesn't really rely on anybody else to get things done. And when you're in the state he was in, one of the most difficult things was for him to accept help. The first time they met after the phone conversation, Scott was shocked. What I saw was a broken Ben, he says, in every respect. But Scott could tell Ben thrived in the outdoors, so they began taking gentle trips into the mountains. That wasn't easy in the early days, says Ben. I couldn't even get down hills without being on all fours. But every time they returned, Ben would be noticeably better. Gradually, these missions progressed to the point where they would fly into parts of Fjordland whose contours hadn't been crossed by anyone before, then make their way to the coast by foot and pack raft. As Ben later wrote, I wouldn't be alive without these trips. Getting into these wild parts that are so remote gives me something to look forward to. No chance to think about what's been lost, just one foot in front of the other, finding a new normal. Scott railed against the idea Ben should have no goals. He considered it tantamount to a death sentence for such an obvious high achiever. One day, Scott asked Ben, what big goals did he have? Ben demurred a bit, but then he mentioned the world's longest and toughest kayak and canoe race, the Yukon 1000, which starts in Canada, travels a thousand miles down the Yukon River, heads north of the Arctic Circle and into Alaska's heart. Scott had never heard of it, but without thinking said he'd do it with Ben. From that point, their missions developed a twin focus, helping Ben's rehabilitation and training for the Yukon race. But all the time, there was another strand to Ben's recovery. Scott's wife, Sue Worthington, had worked in advertising and copywriting for years. Her company, Big On Writing, dealt with everyone from big corporates to political parties. In 2018, she saw a social media post from Ben featuring audio of his pained attempts at learning to read again, overlaid with photos of his achievements before the accident. In that 30-second clip, Sue realised Ben had neatly captured how his life had been ruptured. Spying a creative streak, she suggested he work with her on some advertising videos Before long, Ben had become her most trusted employee, finding new clients, rewriting companies' websites, and driving the business. But scepticism and prejudice dogged Ben from boardroom to boardroom because of his speech. I remember distinctly we were in front of one client and they literally ghosted him in the meeting, says Sue. They didn't talk to him, they didn't do anything with him. About six months later, I said to Ben, 
your English has improved out of sight. And he said, I've been practicing every day since that meeting. And that's what Ben does. We don't work with that client now. In May 2022, Ben became Big On Writing's managing director and half owner of the company, which now has clients and staff around the world. I guess my philosophy in life is that you never judge a book by its cover, says Sue, and that's probably why I took Ben on board. But what I discovered through this process is that a book is always judged by its cover. And what Ben had to do was make sure that cover was really, really good. The idea of taking someone in Ben's condition to compete in one of the world's toughest endurance events seemed far-fetched and likely doomed to many, including some of Ben's doctors. But Scott refused to consider anything other than making the start line and then paddling for however long it took them to finish. COVID, in a strange way, helped, delaying the Yukon race for two years. In that time, Ben became stronger, his speech improved to the point where it was hard to pick up defects, and outwardly, he seemed to be almost back to where he was before March 2018. But the migraines, the tiredness, the recurrent nausea and vomiting, the light sensitivity, all remained. By now, a wretched rhythm he'd learnt to march with each day. 99% of people wouldn't have had the recovery Ben had, says Sue. It's nothing short of a miracle. But it wasn't a miracle. It was just hard work. He just pushed through pain. He pushed through people trying to say no. I've got to be honest, if it was me, I would have topped myself. He never had a good day, but he always believed the next day would be better. And that taught me so much. Ben was happiest in the hills and on the water. As he and Scott trained for the Yukon, his stride and stroke improving, helped by friends like three-time coast-to-coast champion Simone Meyer and kayak coach, Olympic silver medalist Ben Fui. But just as Ben was regaining his endurance, crisis hit Scott. In January 2022, less than six months before the race, Scott collapsed and was flown to Dunedin Hospital for back surgery, crippling his training for weeks. Compounding this was the discovery of a melanoma on his back, which had to be cut out, leaving him with intersecting surgical scars. But he never considered pulling out, living by the mantra a friend once shared with him, it's only pain, it goes away. However, it wasn't only pain. Tests showed the melanoma had likely spread to other parts of his body. Do I expect it to have gone further? Probably, says Scott. You know, you've got to die of something. To be quite frank, it's the furthest thing from my mind. When your time's up, your time's up. And we're having a hell of a lot of fun. And you know, for me to actually not deliver on my promise to Ben was just never going to happen. A few days before they flew to the race start in Canada, the pair stood in Scott's garage near Terrace in central Otago, swaddled in puffer jackets, surrounded by gear, ticking off checklists. There was everything from satellite trackers to swim goggles, medical kits to maps, carabiners, survival blankets, water filters, strobe lights for signalling, a mountain of dehydrated meals, a million other things. 
Ben realised how far he'd come, and he knew how much getting to the Yukon would prove. But it was also hard to look back, because there's parts that I'd dearly love to have hung on to and kept, he says. But you've just got to let it go. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt abrasive doctor who I had you know had not seen before who delivered the news just like you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby the human race where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it and so I feel really lucky so it's been incredibly positive listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts the Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate. In a world full of extraordinary athletic challenges and exceptional physical feats, the Yukon Thousand remains special. Beginning in 2009, it attracts a mix of dreamers and the best international adventurers. In 2022, Nearly 3,000 teams applied for the 40 starting spots. Race director John Frith describes it as the world's toughest endurance and survival event. It's at the high end of risk, he says. Maybe a little over. Crews begin in Whitehorse in Canada's remote Yukon Territory and in either kayaks, canoes or on stand-up paddleboards Follow the route of the 1896 Klondike Gold Rush north towards Dawson City. Then they bend west, across the border into America, and track beyond the Arctic Circle to the finish at the Dalton Highway Bridge in the middle of Alaska. Each day they paddle for 18 hours, and must then take a six-hour break in which they have to cook, set up camp, snatch a few hours sleep, filter drinking water, break camp, and push off into the flow again. They must be totally unsupported and have 10 days to finish. 
Among 2022's competitors were polar explorers, those who'd rowed across oceans, and another who'd climbed Mount Everest. Despite Ben being laid low by COVID as soon as he arrived in Whitehorse, and Scott needing a tooth pulled on the race's eve, the pair remained unfazed by their competition, confident in their years of preparation and shared adventures. On Saturday, July 2nd, Ben and Scott escaped Whitehorse's summer-baked streets and entered the air-conditioned respite of a conference room where race director John Frith stood preparing to give the final race briefing. With a bluntness born from a life in the military, Frith warned of forest fires, bears, moose, rapids, high water, and the need to be utterly self-sufficient, as rescue simply wasn't possible in most locations during the race. When you're out there, you're out there, he said. There's no googling your way out of this shit. It's a really special place, so cherish every moment. It's a race, but it's one hell of a place. Shortly after six o'clock the next morning, Ben closed his hotel room door, stepped into the sun, and set off along Whitehorse's waterfront to the race start line. An hour earlier, he'd convinced himself he didn't want to do it. Because why the hell would anyone enjoy this, he said. But the excitement had quickly returned, along with some perspective. It's kind of like the end of a four-year grunt that everybody said wasn't possible and I'd never be able to do, he said. The moment we sit in the boat, it's a bit of, I did it. As Ben and Scott stowed provisions for 10 days, slathered on sunscreen and anti-chafing cream, and wished fellow competitors good luck, there was a sense they'd already completed the biggest challenge. It's the end of four years of absolute hell, really, said Ben, tearing up. But hey, we did it. We got here to the start. And that's all that matters. Scott, too, choked back tears as he thought about everything they'd gone through together to get here. Fear's awesome, he said. Three years, and to be here is just the best. So we're going to give it our best and enjoy the adventure. Yep, be a few tears at the end, unfortunately. Today on Newsable, it's back to the future with the return of a National Party policy of years gone by. So what is social investment and does it work? Plus, why are we all so obsessed with the TV show Baby Reindeer and its Eurovision finals weekend? And there are some absolute bops you simply must hear. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. But I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. At 7.30am, Frith shouted, Go! Crews raced to their boats Le Mans style, and they paddled into the Yukon, the cries of well-wishers chasing them downstream. Huge winter snow dumps in the mountains had begun to melt, meaning the river was high and fast. While that helped their progress, it meant most campsites were flooded, and just getting to shore required dangerous manoeuvres. 
and when they did manage to stop, the area had to be scouted for bear prints. If bears or moose were around, they had to keep paddling for several more kilometres before again trying to land. Ben and Scott had spent so much time together, they immediately slipped into a routine with meals eaten on board and about four hours sleep grabbed each night. The mosquitoes were murderous, the campsites waterlogged and sloping, the temperatures tipping into the 30s. Forest fires, which had cut the only road north through the Yukon Territory, blocked the sun and spread across the river's surface. Rapids and whirlpools capsized several boats. One crew swept downstream for 20 minutes before making it to shore, then spending several hours in their sleeping bags to stave off hypothermia. Thunderstorms with lightning swept over the crews, forcing them to seek shelter. By Dawson City, the race's halfway point, three crews had pulled out. But Ben and Scott steered away from calamity, navigated their way through sections where the river stretched four kilometres bank to bank, and kept on paddling, 18 hours a day, day after day. Ben developed trench foot from the constant damp, backs were rubbed raw, and Scott's fingers locked at painful angles from the repetition of gripping his paddle. On the evening of Saturday, July 9th, after six days and 15 hours, the pair paddled under the Dalton Highway Bridge, 800 kilometres north of Anchorage, and nosed into shore where Frith and supporters waited for them. They were eighth of the 21 teams to complete the race. There was champagne, there were hugs. There was a sense they could have carried on further, rounded more river bends, even reached the ocean another thousand miles away. But above all, there was the feeling they'd somehow pulled off something that seemed like a pipe dream three years before, when Ben was incomprehensible and all but crippled. Relief and realisation, all wrapped in a swirl of backslapping. They carted their bottles of bubbly to the nearby truck stop, an iconic diner that features on TV series Ice Road Truckers, and buried themselves in burgers and chips. A hundred vignettes and race memories rapidly traded with other finishers gathered there. Then they once more pitched their tent at the back of the truck stop beside two giant rubbish incinerators. And with crows watching on, and the midnight sun still orange above the horizon, crawled inside. Ever since the accident, ever since his life began falling apart, there'd been the inevitable temptation for Ben to focus on what he'd lost. And he succumbed often in the early days, the hole in his life easy to tumble into, the way out hard to see. His speech, his movement, his friends, his partner, his job, his horses, his self-esteem and the dreams every young person has, all stolen in an instant. The simplest route was to accept the fatalism of health officials and the boxes bureaucrats wanted to place him in. But Ben took a different stance. Fuck them, he said. This was the kid who didn't want to play rugby in the Southland village he grew up in. Instead, he played netball. Ben was always a tough kid. I don't care what people think of me. He just did it, his mum Maureen says. And down there, playing netball as a boy wasn't the done thing. 
After the accident, Ben knew he just had to listen to what his body was telling him, where it hurt most, and get help with that. In time, he accepted life would never be the same again. But he was still Ben. And he figured if he worked hard enough, then surely improvement would come. He did his part and was encircled by others who helped him. The friends in Canada who flew him first class to Vancouver for Christmas for respite. The friends in Wanaka, where he now lives, who kayaked and mountain biked with him. The friends who took him to the top of the mountain and pushed him off so he could learn to ski again. What began with his fall near the Wairau Rahiri River in Fiordland and ended beside the Yukon River in Alaska couldn't have been predicted. But what happened was something Ben realised he simply had to get beyond. And somewhere between those two rivers, he found a way. But for Ben, the story was never going to finish on the banks of the Yukon. It was just a first step, a launching point for more adventure. Already he's mapped out several years of major missions, threaded through a manic business life. Life is full and good. For Scott, there's extraordinary pleasure in seeing Ben's recovery and huge enjoyment in having spent so much time with him. I mean, you can give cheques to save the children fund and all those sorts of things, which are great, he says. But there's something really nice about helping somebody in your community that needs help. Sue Worthington says many people think their whole world has fallen apart at some stage. And I go, yeah, but you just wait three or four years because I've seen phenomenal changes in Ben and I've seen it in other people, she says. So just hold on. Hold on and move on, says Ben, who has learnt not to second-guess the future. It is what it is, he says. If it gets better, it gets better. But don't think about it. Just got to keep going and keep trucking. I've got this far. If I can get this far now, I can only go two or three times further down the road. That was Finding Ben on The Long Read From Stuff written and read by Mike White and produced by me, Michael Wright. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you're listening via the Stuff website, you can hear this story and many more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual podcast apps. You can also now drop us a line on email at thelongreadatstuff.co.nz. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.